Bandwidth for the Weird Things podcast provided by Wired Tree. For sites of any size and world-class customer service, head on over to wiredtree.com. Welcome to the Weird Things Podcast. I'm Andrew Maine, joined by Mr. Justin Robert Young. Hi, friends, to another installment of the Weird Things Podcast. Uh, you were absent last week, but Brian and I carried on triumphantly. Speaking of Brian, Mr. Brian Brushwood. Man, I'll tell you what, it was like we, we, we I would say we had shed some dead weight, but the episode was shockingly devoid of hilarious accents, and there was no Russians mm. in the entire thing. I hope I hope everybody's woken up since uh, listening to last week's Weird Things podcast. <laughs> We've Is had that, reports of people in a coma, I'm not going to lie. The coma-inducing so. uh, 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 sycophant fest of, of Elon Musk. But listen, if you want the most passionate debate two geeks can have about Martian politics... <laughs> that, was the, that was the funniest part, is I was talking to Andrew the next day, and I'm like, oh, how'd Weird Things go? And he's like, um, we kind of got into a... Uh, a real screaming match about Martian politics. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, like, sorry, it sounded like you said like a, like like a real fight. And he's like, yeah, it was kind of like a real fight about Martian <laughs> politics. Hey, man, look, we—that's what we offer. It's the passion it's what we do. It's a passion exactly. play. Where it's else a- are you gonna get that, America and international listeners? N- nowhere, nowhere jerks treehouse uh we did get a letter uh an email rather um and it was over uh i i said that the united states is not really a colonizer and somebody took exception to that and i had to explain colonizing and colonialism are two different things yes so. go on wait wait what, what, what does that mean well, colonizing means taking large amounts of your people and sending them to other places to go live, where colonialism is the idea of having territories or places that you control externally, which even then we only actually like all of our, our colonial territories that we would, we would describe as perhaps like that, some of the commonwealths like Guam, Puerto Rico, and so, our intervention. You would say basically like, like, like the difference between uh, you know, imperialism or, or... Yeah, but I would say that even the, even the places that we're, we're known for having done that, happened in like a, we started in like 1898 for like just like a two or three year period and that was like we had a very short window it of was that. a phase hey, come a on phase. well it, what what happened is basically free trade kind of sort of like you know limited the need to do that ultimately i mean it doesn't mean you know foreign powers or we don't go involved in middle and other countries affairs to their detriment absolutely do that so let me make that very clear yeah um anyhow but that was just a point of correct, you know, understanding colonization, colonialism, two different things. Now that I've bored you all, let's proceed. <laughs> that's good this enough for me. This has been an exciting week, guys. There's been a couple things in the technology front that's been kind of fascinating. And uh, if you hadn't already heard of it, I'm curious because I haven't talked to you guys, either one of you, about P-Cell. I, I must have – listen, this has been a weird week for me. I, I've been out of town a lot. I've had a lot going on. Weird week. Well, back up. Not just a weird week, an awesome week, by the way. <laughs> yeah, all right, all right. Quick quick plug. Uh, this was a big week. I had two shows out of town. Uh, we did our last episode of NSFW on the Twit Network. We're now hard at work getting ready to start up Night Attack. And I kind of had my first primetime television special hour-long on Nat Geo called Hacking yeah. the System. 
which uh, which I'm thrilled and surprised and jazzed to see that uh, people all had really nice things to say about. Of course. I, I, well, you know how it is. You you work close to something, and you just assume it can't be as good as you hope, and you just assume that you'll get a lot of like you know patronizing, like oh no, I saw your thing, that's really great. But instead, like Brian, you are great in it. You had cool stuff, <laughs> and that's the bottom line. Well, the, yeah. In this it case, was described I, as MacGyver meets Hee Haw. No, or no, close. <laughs> one or the other. It's <laughs> yeah. at any rate, uh, I was really happy, but 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 again, uh, plus also like last night, uh, or, or I guess night before last, my one night that normally I would you know come down from this high. Instead, uh, a friend of mine was throwing a surprise birthday party, 40th birthday for his wife, and he hired the two of the band, two members of the band that I got my start with, uh, the Asylum Street Spankers, almost 20 years ago when I was in college, they would take their band break. I would get on stage, do 15 minutes of magic, and then pass the hat. It was amazing, so we had to drive up to Dallas and go do that. So as a result, I'm not nearly as up to it date. Was, it was the week of 10 million feels for Brian Brushwood. It, it sure was, but unfortunately it was not the week of paying attention to science news. So everything you're about to say is going to be big news for me. All right. All right. Again, uh, very proud of you, Brian. Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Very and congratulations on, on the completion of your run on A&E with the final episode, the finale of Don't Trust Andrew Maine this weekend. Season one. Yes. Season one. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes. Bless you, you know <laughs> completion something. of the first season of, of Don't Trust Andrew Maine. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, who knows? I'm more concerned about this show right now and the exciting developments here. Peace out. Peace out, gentlemen. Steve Perlman was one of the creators of QuickTime. He's an inventor. He's an entrepreneur. He's gone on to do many different projects. Some of you'd recognize, but his latest project he just announced with a company called Artemis is pretty fascinating. It's got some very exciting implications. They've got videos online explain what it is, but essentially what it is is he has, he and his team have developed a much more efficient way to transmit information using cellular systems. And so the way it works is you use antennas. Instead of broadcasting a wide variety of you know big signal everywhere, they used a couple antennas to shape a signal that's maybe creates an individual cell that's maybe a centimeter across. So oh, they wow. can target your phone, beam directly to your phone, have hundreds of other phones in the room with you, but only your phone is going to be using that particular little cell, which means you can cram a humongous amount of bandwidth through there. So you're increasing the amount of bandwidth that you can get per phone to maybe like 100 times or more. So, okay, uh, and explain to me, what is it about dividing stuff up and, and targeting individual cells that, that provides more bandwidth? Is this because you don't have to worry about like when you're targeting individual cells does that mean does that give you more bandwidth because you're not competing with other people yeah because you're right now let's say if we were all in the same room all of our phones are going to be using in the same cell which might go for several blocks and so we're all pulling off of that cell and that antenna there is and cell antennas are designed not to compete with other cellular antennas and to avoid interference or to try to do handoffs and so we'd all be inside of one big cell and we'd all be limited by that bandwidth but if you can create a cell that's just a centimeter across and just target it to the antenna of the cell phone, what happens is you can have thousands of people with their own individual little cells and you can have all of you can have, a, you know, you have four or five antennas or whatever that instead of competing against each other, reinforce each other, creating these little micro-targeted pockets. So, and when and, you and this could be, I mean, this is, this is part of the reason why, you know, we're going to be in, in Austin for South by Southwest. And, you know, that's why downtown Austin goes from a place with fairly good 
cell reception and data reception to an absolute swamp when everybody gets in there and starts using the same towers. This would change that. And and if you extrapolate that, I mean, that really, you know, takes places with legendarily crappy natural cell reception like L.A. or New York or something like that and can improve where it can be improved, uh, you know, cell reception all over the place. Right. So. Okay, yeah. Uh, uh, so when you when you're saying uh, centimeter large cells, are you, you're saying individual uh, uh, computers and antennas that are like a centimeter no, wide. Meaning, or? meaning that that imagine instead of sending out like you have the big bubble created by your antenna. Got it. You know that everybody's inside of. Imagine if you had a couple antennas that basically use their signals to reinforce many smaller little zones, little little centimeter little bubbles of where that's the size of the cell phone zone. See, okay. I guess that's the amazing part to me is is when you say that, like that level of precision engineering just strikes me as 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 unprecedented to say the least, which is probably why we're talking about it right now. <laughs> Welcome to 2014. Yeah, so, exactly. To demonstrate this, again, it's kind of hard to you know, understand, but the idea is and the one way to look at it, it's like taking a cell baby basically imagine this is an inaccurate analogy, but it'll get the purpose across. Instead of having a big antenna, that, an antenna broadcasting everywhere, it's like a laser that points just at your phone and sends that. Now you're talking my okay. language, this like point-to-point -point communication. That right. Precision. But what it does is it uses several different antennas to reinforce at certain points to create that little specific block. And so the, the, the signals can reinforce whatever. The idea is imagine ripples in a pond. You, you throw one rock here and then it keeps rippling outwards. If I throw a rock over here and a rock over there and where the ripples intersect. Right. I can create a little cell phone zone there. Now, okay? you, you know what this reminds me of? There was a, a similar technology that used um, uh, actual uh, sound waves where it's like a, like if they need to essentially have a loudspeaker that only reaches mm -hmm. one person, they would have two, uh, you know, two, two transmitters that the interference pattern would, would create. Very essentially. much. Absolutely, Brian. That's very, very, very similar to what this does. And so the implication is this, is that if you start putting these Artemis antennas around, you have you get rid of cell phone interference. You have a hundred times the bandwidth that you have before. Okay, so your amount of bandwidth is tremendously increased. They do a demonstration there where they show using the system. They streaming they're streaming 1080p over you know basically over like an LTE type network, and then they actually stream 4K TV to two Holy different crap. computers. Okay, wow. so they're streaming 4K 4K, and this is where it gets even cooler. The technology is, in an idealized version, you'd use a really sophisticated hardware antenna in your computer or your, your cell phone. But what they can do now is they actually have a SIM card, an actual LTE SIM card with a special technology built in that you can plug into an existing phone and, and have get it get the individual cell. Now, hold on. So, so what you're talking about is instant backward compatibility with all yep. existing cell phones to yep. massively increase the bandwidth. Yep. And, 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 and the bandwidth the antennas. and the bandwidth increase doesn't come from like new protocols or new methods of transmission. Instead, it comes from a massive efficiency of just basically everyone suddenly has their own lane on the highway. Yeah, like beam shaping or whatever, you know, and, and you know, we've talked a bit before, like when we talk about like aliens and why we wouldn't hear their signals because they get very efficient at focusing them. You know, why broadcast a wide signal if you can shape it? And this is like that here, you know, the idea that instead of broadcasting antenna going, you know, when you, a cell phone, a cell antenna on a tower is sending a bubble of, 
you know, it's going out in a complete, you know, a bubble radiating outwards into places that it's going to need to go to. But if you can just direct that at one specific point, which is effectively what this does, you created a little mini little centimeter. And they, he take, does a demonstration where he takes like a bunch of iPhones being streamed to, and then he stacks them together. And then he brings, he'll bring the antennas absolutely close together. And then you see the interference, but yeah. then he pulls them apart like a centimeter and they're back to getting 1080p video. Now, from what you've right. described, it sounds like this is a bit asynchronous, where it's like they're using multiple um, multiple transmitters in order to get massive bandwidth from the upstream down to the cell phone. My guess is the cell phone doesn't have the same advantage. The cell phone still has to just just use the dumb antenna and shout to the world, well, right? Well, you, you remember that you can have a lot more sophisticated receiver. You know, the, 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 the cell phone and receivers, the antennas, the towers... They have, you know, they're, you know, half a meter across dishes and stuff. So you can actually get a lot more information out of that little device upstream. And so they actually have a tremendous amount of upstream, you know, increase too, because it knows specifically where to listen to, how to shape for it, whatever. Um, you know, it's one of those innovations that comes along that, you know, gets catches everybody sort of off guard and could be, you know, potentially changing. You know, DSL was like that. Back in the 90s when we were using telephone, just regular dial-up, we're thinking, well, the next step, we're going to have to go to fiber optic. We're going to have to go to that. And then somebody applied the same technology we use when we want to use Earth-based telescopes to look into space. We shoot a laser to, through the atmosphere and to measure, measure the amount of interference, right. which is actually what the government developed to use spy satellites to look down on. But you could, you could you know, get a little snapshot of the interference and then subtract that from your image. They do that with DSL. That's how DSL works. Because DSL basically listens to the line noise on the copper. And then it subtracts that from the signal, and that's how you get that much more bandwidth out of there. It gets rid of the noise, essentially. So what does this mean as far as, like, what – what? let's play with this for a little bit. <clears throat> there, there, there are two There's ways part I want to – part two, Brian, but go ahead. Well, yeah, because here's, here's what I want to know. Like, this is a great proof of concept. This seems to be a brilliant breakthrough technology. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and the backward compatibility makes this something that could be – a, you know, a revolution within a couple of years. But what is that time frame? When do we go from science fair project to everybody gets more amazing mobile bandwidth all the time if they want to pay for these new SIM cards? They say they're ready. They're ready to be able to start implementing it this year. And the the question is, is that you you know, you'd need existing cellular providers would need to one start installing. You could install some. You'd have some cities could have this antenna, but when you're outside of there, you could use regular. You could use fallback. It's also, when you want to talk about disruptive, it's also an incredibly, you know, attractive idea to a company like Google or Apple or somebody large amounts to cash on hand to say, hey, why don't we start launching a, you know, a P-cell service? Yeah. Because this is the next way. So um, here's, very here's the first question that pops into my mind. You know, a big uh, thing making news, what, three years ago was the compromise talks that was happening between Google and Verizon uh, regarding net neutrality. And the big thing that uh, the sticking point at the time was, yeah, look, we can all be net neutral when it comes to hardwired bandwidth because there's plenty to go with and we could treat all the bits like the same. But when it comes to wireless, everything's just too scarce. We know as a practical point that we have to prioritize some bits over other. Like, doesn't this kind of just just shove a fist right in the nuts of that argument? Absolutely, because you could, if you license this technology, you could go into the city of Austin or wherever we are, and you could say, okay, I'm just going to provide it now for like home boxes. 
you know, I'm going to put a box in your house that's going to be a P-cell box. You plug into it, and we're going to give you over-the-air wireless, and we're going to sell it to you that way. It becomes yeah. a cost-effective way to deliver it to the home. Right. Which traditionally wireless prices are so high, you don't really want to be streaming your Netflix and your everything else from there. But here, now you have an option where you could say phase one could be you could just implement it in one city and say, hey, we're going to put in build antennas. We're going to be selling P-cell boxes. So you put this in your house, get rid of your cable modem, get rid of all that. You don't need a wired connection or satellite. And that's that could be phase one. And that's an incentive for companies that, you know, like a Google or somebody else who says, hey, we, we don't, you know, it's cheaper than laying a lot of fiber. Yeah. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, yeah. So you you are providing a service that is as fast as anything else over the air as opposed to grounded and digging. And that's, I mean, that's really the basis of all the monopolies, the cable monopolies, right? Was mm -hmm. that, yeah. you know, let's just not have people digging around everybody's lawn all the time. And now that completely eradicates that concept. So pretty exciting, right? You ready for phase two? Oh my God. That's, that's great. And also I can just imagine, I mean, that announcement right there, is them looking around to like AT&T and Verizon and Sprint and saying, start cutting them checks because uh, these Artemis uh, antennas ain't going to put themselves up. So Which you I can love. go online, by the way, uh, Artemis, look up Artemis P-Cell, and you can see demos. He's got some great demos of him explaining the technology, showing how it works. Here's the other thing. They've hinted on their website, they hint at, and there's other applications for this. If you do a patent search on Steve Perlman and you look up, this technology has a great opportunity. So he says it can increase data, sell data by a thousandfold. I was underselling it. <laughs> One of the applications you have of this is you have these antennas that can shape and transmit high amounts of information or energy to specific places. You uh -oh. could use this for energy transmission. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Run that by me again. Let's. Yeah. So this. Wow. This just went instantly from like vaguely tech related to pure weird things discussion because this is what we talked about last week was mm -hmm. the idea of of, of microwaving energy, wireless yeah. charging. Right. So you are getting crazy signal and also charging your cell phone and also with, becoming with incredible amounts of efficiency. Now we have other forms of wireless charging over distance that have huge, they're very, very inefficient. And there are some ones that use microwaves, things like that are a little bit better. This would be a radically much more efficient way to transmit energy. So imagine if, yeah, your cell phone had an antenna in there that charged the battery. You never plug it in, you never do anything. It's constantly being charged remotely. Imagine a car an electric car oh that you never had to plug God. in. So basically, okay, so just so we have the right metaphor in our mind, we've already talked about how the precision of this transmission is caused by like multiple antennas doing an interference pattern similar to directed sound like we had talked about. So, mm -hmm. uh, and, and the way you would have this increase of bandwidth would be, you know, use that essentially, like you said, like a laser at all times. So you got, you got this... Uh, this antenna that's basically, you know, identifying all of its customers and keeps lasers pointing at it of information. And so what you're saying is now those lasers, uh, virtual lasers, are, are beaming energy at some acceptable efficiency to anything that moves anywhere at any time. With an antenna that they, yeah, they can, they can fit feedback its location. So, yeah, you could put this in. You could put this in your car, electric cars, okay? Instead of having a big, huge battery, you could have a smaller battery and an antenna so it's constantly being charged. Your cell phones, whatever, you have a totally new way of power transmission. Your house. 
You get rid of cables, wow. you get rid of everything else. And now you have a company, the company that get involved in this could eventually be not just your your cellular information provider, but your energy provider. Oh, no. See, this is great. Okay, so, like, again, think about this. Like, the argument for uh, – okay, the argument with net neutrality, a big part of it is like, yeah, but I don't have a choice of how to get broadband to my house. So instantly, yeah. P-Cell says, yeah, you do. You got any of those network providers. All of a sudden, bandwidth is raining down from the sky. Don't don't cry to us about net neutrality laws or whatever because if you don't like it, there's another virtual provider who can make it available. Likewise, when it comes to electricity, electricity, yes, the most efficient way in the foreseeable future to get electricity to your house will always be the giant chunk of copper or whatever kind of wire it is that's that's bringing it to you. That's You're going to have the least amount of, of, of loss there. But just as we see with information, like uh, we're seeing a number of people, we talk about the number of people cutting their cable cord. Turns out even more people are cutting their internet bill because they realize I'm out of the house eight hours a day at work. The time I'm at home, yeah, it's not as good or as fast or as efficient to get my internet from my cell phone or my iPad or, or my you know wirelessly connected laptop, but now it's only one bill instead of two. So likewise, yes, you know, the efficiency of, of distributing electricity or energy from this over-the-air method will never be as as good as, as a hard line. But then there's enough people who's like, well, I'm already getting power from a car uh, from this service. I'm already getting power from my all my mobile devices on this as I move around. Maybe, maybe I will. And then all of a sudden you've got you've got price uh 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 but, 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 but I guess the only difference is you have to worry about like um uh, the, the the green movement and about whether or not it's less green to use such a lossy delivery system. Well, we don't. For I don't. You you just said that it's very lossy. I don't know that it's lossy. I don't know how lossy it is. Yeah, I guess. I, all right. Well, I mean, we're fantasizing well, now also, anyway. And also, this, like you said, I mean, I think if let let's take this for exactly how we imagine it for the moment. Like this radically defines who's in what business. You know, like if you are a power company and you are delivering possibly power to everything in your home with these kind of antennas, who's to say you're not also in the internet business? Who's to yeah, say that uh, these internet telecoms could not be in the power business, you know? Now, two things, what I, so one person wanted to know, is this based on Tesla's work? Well, everything involving electricity is based on Tesla, but this is this is a radical new thing involving, uh, you know, the, the the way kind of interference patterns. Yeah, all right, all right. Can, can we just say Tesla's work was uh, when it came to wireless transmission of electricity, uh, maybe a little bit sloppy, maybe not what uh, what Reddit would have idea. you believe. Nothing that's brought up like, well, is this some sort of death weapon if you could, you know, target that kind of energy anywhere you want? Guess what? We can already do that. We can yes. already go build an off the shelf, you know, using microwave antennas. We can build a death ray right now. It's very easy. There's a uh, yes. Ra's al Ghul can already evaporate all the water in Gotham City. <laughs> there, there is an amusement park of which I will not name, and it's not Disney, that has a roller coaster. And also near this park is a production facility where they have satellite umpleak dishes. <laughs> and they were putting their plans for the roller coasters, and then somebody noticed where the satellite uplink dishes faced, and they said, you know, we need to move one or the other. Because we can't have people get to the apex of the roller coaster and get banned, get beamed by that much microwave radiation. Oh my God. Wow. 
So uh, that's that's an existing thing right now. Those like you know satellite uplink trucks, things like that. You see, you do not want to be in the path of those things. Well, and, and keep in mind, like the whole reason that the microwave oven exists is because somebody was doing repairs on a microwave radar antenna, and a candy bar candy bar melted in his pocket just by being near the thing. He he was essentially submitting himself to to direct death ray beam technology. So with anything, you know, there's there's that's that that cat's already out of the bag, but. We get one, we get an exciting level of, you know, absolutely increasing, tremendously increasing bandwidth, wireless bandwidth. There's ways, if you want to start talking about mesh networks and other ways that are very disruptive that say change the, the relationship we have with our service providers, awesome. And then the future of energy transmission, the idea that we do get to that point where you could have vehicles, devices, never, you don't even think about batteries. You don't even think about that anymore. You just pay your energy bill. That's insane. That is like, I mean, that's one of those paradigm shifting elements that it's like, you know, you guys were talking about the gigabit factory last week, right? Yeah. Like, and I mean, that is like an amazing revolution. And this is like a paradigm shifter that could change the application of what that means going forward 10, 15 years in the future. So can we, can we try on for size, a horrific reverse scenario? Like, uh, when we we talk about the genie being out of the bottle and about mm -hmm. how you know technolo uh, technological advances like these can't help but permeate and they could disrupt industries and we've seen time and time again in the past of industries who have tried to you know either through lawsuits or through strong arming or through misinformation campaigns or whatever keep these these increasingly efficient e increasingly revolutionary technologies from happening and then i think but, to i think to myself do uh, we believe that though What's what's that? Which part? That they actually try to do that. Uh, yes. If you read the Master Switch, that's what the entire uh, three hundred year history of information technology has shown us: is that uh, whoever's on top sits on top, and uh, then somebody who has nothing to lose on the outside comes up with a clever. Oh yeah, way to I do guess it. that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are. Yeah, certainly. I, I guess that's to say is like in a in a market system, you're the disruptors are the ones that change it. So go Correct. ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 so and then and then of course then they come on top, and now the most efficient play is for them to try to stop the next disruptor from coming in, right? Uh, yeah, but, which would be expected and moral, perhaps even. Yes, correct. Um, but um, so. I think about stuff like uh, like uh, uh, how much we are increasingly relying upon the ability to get the word out for all these things. And we see stuff like, uh, you know, the Arab Spring, where some of these uh, countries have, have done things like tried to shut off the Internet or, or whatever. And that's the, the importance of having redundant things like mesh networks and all these things. And I think to myself, like, how horrific would it be? First, let me tell you what I imagined, and then let me tell you what I wonder. What I imagined was... Uh, what happens if there's a massive solar flare and truly all of our wireless communication went down, the Internet went down? Uh, how would we get our information? It would it would be incumbent upon people to drive around in physical cars and, and shout with megaphones what's going on. And you just think like like just how horrifying and and, and isolating that experience would be. And that's a big part of uh, the, the book One Minute After, if you ever read it about it, about an EMP attack or whatever. But then and this is what I want to bring to you guys. Like, what would it take, how possible would it be to, as an isolated incident, try cutting off a single town and see how long you could possibly keep the residents totally ignorant? Like, tell them the story. Tell them there was an EMP. Tell them that's why they can't call anyone. Tell them that's why. How long until 
you know, the sneaker net of information dispersal as if we're as if we're all prisoners, you know, whispering uh, rumors to each other would infiltrate before people would really figure out. I, I don't know. That's that's where my head's at right now. Steps uh, backwards. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I, I so what is we're waiting for people to figure out that we're pulling a, a trick on them my, or my question how is how long until people start talking to each other? Well, we could discuss it either way. Like uh, the, you, the question is in a case where you take away all the achievements of communication that we've achieved in the next over the last 80 years. Okay. Does that stop progress? Do we all become savages and start raping and killing? Well, we and all start sword fighting according to Rev- according to revolution. Exactly, right? But 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 or does it just slow down and 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 uh, like like here's the thing, can our achievements really be taken away or is it a case where now that we know what's possible We'll never quite have to worry about being completely about completely losing it. I, I think that you know we, you know we know it, it, uh, some of us know enough. You know enough engineers and people are around to know. Okay, there are the steps we can skip to get ahead to the next thing. You know this is we we know like you'll use DSL example. You know we know like oh wait no you can use copper to do this because. Just use this and this. And so I think there are enough really smart engineers around to figure out how to get some of these things on. And it, and it's weird because you look at like places a disaster and every region sort of handles it differently. When I was living in South Florida, Justin was there too, I think, mm-hmm. when Hurricane Andrew hit. And yeah. huge, huge, leveled, leveled entire parts of South Florida. And, you know, some neighborhoods better off than others. Some And sometimes it's just the, the, the particular area it depended upon the people there. In my neighborhood, if you went down the street, you know, within the first few days, we had already cleared out most of the big debris, you know, helping everybody else do that. And there were extension cords running from house to house where people who had generators were helping people who didn't, you know, power their refrigerators because it was a pretty close, tight-knit community. And, and we, you know, we had barbecues together. We're very much like that. You yeah. go to a place where you have a lot of transient people, people don't know their neighbors as much, whatever, it's a different situation. And so, you know, town by town, it depends. But I guess like in the town situation, it's the first person to try to leave, um, you know, would be like, well, hey, no, they got internet here, you know, outside here. So something's going on. Yeah, I guess. Uh, and again, like uh, as far as the thought experiment goes, I'm imagining mm-hmm. that that if this is an isolated, intentional military run, whatever experiment that somebody leaves, they're like, fine, you left. Guess what, kid? You're not going to go back. We need to know what happens. We need to know mm-hmm. if people figure it out. Yeah, I, I actually have a a book that I, I haven't published yet that explores that idea. Of it. Oh, it's, wow. It's shut down. <laughs> It's it's but it's it's not the most novel idea, but the idea of, of how do they how do you shut down a town and ke- get them keep them isolated. See, and or I guess really people. whether that's even possible now or or ever was. I don't know. I, I created a scenario in which I think it could be done. All right. Dude, Medical uh, emergency. I, I didn't Dude, need to accidentally one, stumble. And that's, and that's the beautiful part about Andrew's writing is that, you know, when I was first reading Angel Killer, uh, which is coming there is not only available on Amazon, but also coming to a bookstore near you, um, I was blown away and also fairly terrified with the serial killer character for which he portrays and understanding that these are all methods that actually work. And, uh, you know, it's like Andrew's, Andrew's mind is devious enough that you can understand, like he wouldn't write it if it was just 
the writer's trick of like, no, well, uh, this does this. And then they look the other way. So that's why that happens. It's like, no, this is a fairly solid, like plausible plan to take, you know, this, uh, this horrifying incident and broadcast it around the world. Well, there's that, uh, the, the, as far as Brian, as far as like how you could exert that kind of control or be able to do that, you do it through a medical emergency. And that's when, that's when we all of a sudden we start to, we become trusting. Uh, there's a very disturbing video you can see when they had uh, the, when the Russian submarine sunk, the Kursk or whatever, you know, sank. And there was, they thought the sailors may still be alive. And there was a town hall meeting and there's this woman whose son's on there and she's hysterical. She's absolutely hysterical. She's yelling at the officials. They need to do something, need to do something. You see two people in lab coats walk up to her and a woman inject a syringe into her. What? And then she passes out. And that's how they handled that. You know, that's how they handled you're yeah. going to disrupt the meeting. We're not going to handcuff you. We're going to tell you that, hey, you're hysterical. We need to help you out. Don't worry. We're going to take care of you. We're going to basically inject this into you and knock you out. Wow. And this for people who don't remember, the, the, the Kursk was a submarine that was famously, and, and it was worldwide news, in trouble, uh, I believe somewhere around the like off uh, coast of Norway or something like that, right? Like in the, the ocean. Scandinavia? Yeah, yeah, somewhere in the ocean. Yeah, and uh, they, I believe the U.S. was in, they had military uh uh, facilities in the area that could help them, and Russia consistently waved them off until they. Yeah, and like the Norwegians too. There were there was potential, but that it didn't. But you watch this this video of this thing, and you were like, "That's how." And that's the in China. You know, they have uh, execution vans that look a lot like either they're completely black or they look like ambulances. Oh my god! So it's like if you want to, if you they want to, they, they want to come for you and not attract attention, then they. Now, how much, how much of that, and and you know, maybe some listeners in some areas outside of the United States can tell us, like when you hear that level of of corruption, and and keep in mind, this is all you know, fine. If if we're wrong, then we're wrong, but this is what we're being told, right? Uh, yeah. How much of that is? The result of the uh, nature of of the open nature of the government. How much of it is being in a free market uh, society, and how much of it is is that 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 the internet uh, has made possible open communication so well? Like like I or I guess the, the the reverse of the question is like, are we as insulated from that kind of thought as we would like to think as Americans we are? Um. I'm not sure I understand the question. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm well, just I mean, like, I think from what from what we were saying earlier of of uh, just how communication, or like you were saying, the difference with with like colonialism and and what uh, you know a, a worldwide free market, you know, or free trade did for the necessity to kind of colonize a place versus just trade with them, which is ultimately kind of what mm-hmm. you 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 wanted in in that era of you know world history. What is the difference between, you know, what what does the idea of ubiquitous Internet do to, you know, free speech and culture? I guess. And and that that is my question is is uh, because that that's also we mentioned the master switch earlier. That's that's the core idea is it, it 
tells this 250-year history of over and over and over again, communication technologies, new thing comes in, disrupts the old guard, uh, old boss becomes the new boss, uh, and then it just keeps getting knocked down. And the question at the end, like, like, well, now the latest one has been the Internet, and it, and it details specific plans where Time Warner was going to carve up this way of distributing content using the Internet, and then they're going to seed this area to, uh, you know, to, to, to NBC and so on. Uh, and, and then instead, um, you know, the, the whole nature of the they, – they misjudged it, and the decentralized nature of the Internet seems to have kept it alive. And, and now, you know, the Internet net neutrality is the third rail where it's like nobody dares try to step on it. And the question is, are we in a golden era where just now we're always going to be able to communicate and that's why, you know, free societies will stay free? Or, or can that genie be put back in the bottle again? I – I don't have, I don't know. I would like to think, I, I like to think that, you know, when you have, you know, information flows freely, it's going to tend to do that. And when you have the market advantages of doing that, and, you know, we, and I, you know, I guess the point of that book is 12 people in a boardroom are not going to be able to outsmart everybody else forever. And, you know, bureaucracies, you know, they, they try to hold on to what they have and then eventually something disrupts them. And can we get back? I, I think I think that it, you might get short term little pushbacks and things like that from time to time. I think that overall it, it's it's hard. You know, it, the scary thing is the things where we just sort of let it happen because we don't think about it. There's a great movie, uh, Viggo Morrison. It's called Good. And he's a, a doctor and uh, is a doctor. He's like a philosopher in Germany. And basically the premise is that. They want to use his arguments to for their plan for basically uh, their health plan for the idea of how to improve the common health of, of Germany, Germans, whatever. And what this really is, it's the beginning of, you know, the whole Holocaust extermination program through the ages of using the, the excuse of, well, we're going to sterilize people who are unfit. You know, if you shouldn't be reproducing, we're going to sterilize people. And if you're kind of sick, then maybe and that's, you know, why do some people in this country have a knee jerk reaction, by the way, to uh, assisted suicide? And part of it is because there was a point where I think you should be able to do whatever you want. I don't care. But there was a slippery slope of, well, if somebody's very ill, should we let them in their life or should we recommend to do that? And you put a bunch of people into a concentration camp. They're all very sick, <laughs> you know, and you yeah. can use these. You look at how under the letter of law you go from you know, what's basically kind of like any other sort of European government to all of a sudden you now under the letter of law, you can wholesale kill millions of people based upon public health. And that's frightening. Man, I really want to read this book. <laughs> that, that I'll tell you what, I'm really glad that we came back now that I'm back on the show this week and we, we're bringing the smiles. <laughs> like we're just, it's just a rainbow factory here on the weird so, self. Uh, answer your question, Brian. I like to think that we, you know, that, that we're we're going to go more. And I, long term, yes, it will absolutely will. How big are the setbacks along the way? Don't know. All right, all right. Ready for something? Uh, doesn't involve genocide. Mm, I guess. <laughs> ah, listen, why do we need to draw these lines? <laughs> all right. Uh, so I saw something. I saw a demo for something I thought was kind of cool. I'm like, that looks kind of familiar, but I wonder if I've seen anything else like it. And I start looking around, and I find some other examples of it that are sort of based on a similar concept. And the implications for this could be potentially as far-reaching in some ways as PSL and everything else, but it has to do with the way that we consume information. There's a company this week that did a demo 
And, and I found out another company has something similar that you can, I've already downloaded from my iPhone. They call it spritzing or spritz. Have you seen this? It's a way to read. Spritz, spritz? Spritz, go to spritzinc.com. Okay, and that's uh, with a Z or an S at the end? With a Z. All right, spritz, like a spritz of information in your face. Got it. Now you see there, now what it is, it's a way to read very, their, very their LinkedIn uh, page right here if you want to invest or join them. <laughs> yeah. It's a very, very fast way to read things. And what they do is they flash words at you one at a time, and they have a demo on their site if you go to spritzinc.com, and they have their way of, there are other people who also, by the way, are doing this. There's an app that you can buy for the iPhone, which I actually downloaded, uh, called uh, ReadQuick, which what it does is it flashes the words at you one at a time because the idea is you don't have to track with your eyes. Your eyes stay in one spot, and the words come past you. Now, what Spritz is doing is they've got what they call a... Uh, a reticule or something they have they have a way to display it where they put emphasis using red on certain letters of the word and they put them in a certain kind of position but if you click that actually on that first page that's a demo brian if you click what yeah if you click that all right welcome and, to spritzing we're starting you out at 250 words per minute a little more than the average reading speed of 220 words per minute don't worry we'll go faster in a moment in fact many people are already spritzing at over 1000 words per minute at that speed you could read a thousand page novel in a, 10 hours what you could do if you doubled your reading speed with the same or better comprehension uh what if you tripled it our goal is to get the entire world reading spritz and to have 50% of the world's textual content in our method 2016. Select a new speed on the right when you're ready or click one of the flags below. All right, well, here. Uh, so that's all 250 all right. words. Yeah, go, 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 go all the way up to like, I'm, I'm, I've been spritzing at about, on the, my reader at about 600 words <clears throat> per minute. So you just want so. me to go straight to 500 words per minute? Go to, because you won't be able to read. If you're reading out loud, you're not, you're not, you wouldn't be able to. Uh, well, here, let, let me, let me possible. give you an idea. We got 250, 350, and 500. I'll do 350. I'm going to try to read along. Okay. So <clears throat> now we're starting to make progress. Your current spritzing speed is 350 words per minute. You're reading a clip that is 40% faster than most people. There's no need for reading classes or practice with spritz. We are busy developing software to allow you to spritz just about anything. Software, shoot. Um, from ebooks and uh, wow, I'm actually reading it, but not able to speak the words fast enough. Go up to 500. All right, 500. You know, that's just to keep one of the keys to speed reading is you stop vocalizing the words. Yeah. We're watching now. Oh my god! Can I? Uh, wow. <laughs> so. As as Brian uh, speeds reads or speed reads on the on the spritzing uh, webpage, it's funny that you mentioned. I actually saw a or, or heard of the ReadQuick app this week because I was watching Tech News Today with Mike Elgin, and he had Natalie Morris on as his co-host, formerly uh, Natalie Conti of CNET, and uh, her husband and her developed the ReadQuick app. No oh, kidding. Wow. Yeah, they uh, they developed it because they uh, they were both uh, you know television presenters in the British sense of the word and uh, needed to read a bunch of stuff before like in a short amount of time before going on to talk about stuff and and boom yeah no th so that's read oh quick gosh. is what Andrew's showing for the video uh, people right now but it's the same principle of just uh, show one word at a time and although it's it's like you think it's counterintuitive because it's like yeah okay one word at a time sure but I guess, you know, you, you don't factor in how much that big gray block of text 
uh, psychologically can can slow you down. Here, here's if you want to believe it, and and first of all, I do believe this. Now, keep in mind, you're talking to somebody who, as as being a fan of the skeptic movement, has seen them just utterly slay the claims of speed reading techniques, where it's like, yeah, you read faster, but you don't process, you don't retain mm -hmm. nearly as much. But take it from another angle. Uh, because, again, what they do is there are some of them that say you just run your hands really fast. Other times they say you just glance at an entire page and try to get this gestalt of what the page is all about. But uh, realistically, I've started to listen to more and more of my podcasts at 125% speed, not at, at 100%. Uh, same thing with audiobooks lately. And I'm astonished that in the short term... I would do it only with nonfiction, but lately I've started to do it with comedy podcasts. For example, Harmontown, uh, I've, I've listened to both at 100% and at 125%, and the only difference is that at 125%, they seem so much funnier and smarter because you can't believe— Because <laughs> it's quicker? Yeah, because it, they're like, wow, man, they just came up with that. <laughs> and especially because a lot of what he does are these freestyle raps where where he's just you know coming up with stuff on the fly— and uh, uh, as a result, like that part of my brain that noticed that is exactly what I just felt right now reading those as they happen. Well, this is also something that uh, has been a huge part of uh, not only I mean, I know for from newspaper design, uh, the reason why you as a writer, like the concept of a lead at a nut graph is that you have kind of a sentence, two sentences that sort of snare somebody into a story and then a nut graph that provides the roadmap of your entire story. And that is completely done only because of the psychology of reading, like when you're dealing with big gray blocks of text, that big gray blocks of text scare people off. And so you need, you know, you, you see- You break it up intentionally. So you break it up intentionally into very, very small pieces, and then the idea that the second paragraph tells you everything that happens in the article so you can – you are more likely if that entire story is something that you would like to read are more likely to read past the jump and stuff like that. But this is something – I mean the, the concept of pull quotes and graphics and everything, that is all done in the service of breaking up big, uh, intimidating gray blocks of text that this seems to be kind of – piercing through like uh you know like a like an icebreaker i'll tell you what it also kind of messes with me because um part of the reason that i made the transition to audiobooks for most of my fiction enjoyment was uh and maybe i still do believe this as far as like um the enjoyment side of things was was that um when you listen to an audiobook, you have to listen to every single word. When I'm reading with my dumb, stupid eyes, I can't help but kind of glance to the next page and and know that I'm coming up on the end of the chapter. I can't help but, you know, see a giant block of text that's clearly describing how red the rose is and be like, yeah, 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 but, but does the guy live and want to jump ahead? Um, then you get to, you know, with, with audiobooks, you have to hear every single word the way it was intended or whatever. But now... Lately, listening to audiobooks and uh, especially nonfiction at at more than than you know the intended speed or the speed at which because uh, it only sounds weird for the first like five ten minutes and then it just feels totally natural and you really do hear every single word. I don't know. I I, I think I'm coming around to what the kids are going to be doing in ten years, which is you know super fast like coming at you. Well, that, so that brings up an interesting question, and that's you know one way to look at when doing the single word at a time, like read quick or spritz, is in a way kind of similar to how we listen. You know, you hear one word at a time, and it kind of you have sort of a frame buffer that gets in there. And 
I, you know, I played around with both of them, and I, I think there's room for improvement. But yeah, <laughs> I think it's fascinating though to see that you know, uh, you know, I can, I, I, I was going between an Arthur C. Clarke story and then nonfiction, and nonfiction's a lot easier for me to read really, really fast. You know, using this, and and I think that like I don't know if I really want to consume a novel. A novel's never a race for me. So you know, I think that for well, and and, and and also a novel is a performance, right? Like, mm-hmm. would it add to the story? to hear dialogue spoken in stilted double speed, you know, staccato between two people. Yeah. You know, I don't think so, you're getting a better experience that way. Now, if I had to cram for a test tomorrow, that'd be different. But I think this is going to be an interesting way. Now that we have these great tools to, you know, you can, these technologies are very, very easy now. They're very easy to programmatically, whatever, to make, to take a website, to be able to do this. And then you, I was think I was looking around and said, man, it'd be kind of cool to take a little Arduino board, a little, little, that's a, uh, basically a very easy little programmable computer circuit you can, you know, do things with and putting like a little uh, LCD display on there. So it'd be kind of neat just to put like a book on a keychain. That would be rad. You know, be able to, you know, flash things through at, at super, super speed or something because that's, that's going to be interesting to see. Does this catch on? They say when they test people with it that they have the same retention level or have a higher retention, higher retention level than other forms of speed reading. If that's true, and then you look at the idea of you say, okay, if we can move people to with practice to 500, 600, 800 words a minute. Does this crazy. seem like something that, you know, what what's the, uh, the service that, uh, you you could save like long magazine articles too that that Apple like kind of pocket? made their own yeah like pocket and and, yeah. and Apple kind of made their own functionality of it this seems like something that is i would find maybe most useful if it were just a a root level function for an android or an iphone or something mm-hmm. like that that you could just anything it's like i i get sent a link from you right and instead of going into this and importing the URL or whatever, it's just at the bottom of my my browser, and I can just go boop. And well, all imagine of a sudden, this. I'm what speed if, what, reading why limited thing. it to your browser? What if it was? Uh, what if you could take a physical book or any block of text? You know, there was that one app that uh, that you could turn on the camera and look around, and anytime it would OCR recognize any any text of any type. It would identify the language and then translated it to English. Sure. So you got this like this VR, you know, version of, uh, of of reinterpretation. What if every time you saw a block of text and you're like, I need to absorb this really quickly, you just held up your phone and it just took the actual text and just fed it to you at that speed or Google Glass, similarly, something with a camera that's always on, so that you just turn and it just feeds it to Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I mean, I guess digest. my what, thought is more like, what do I what do I really, really want to you know, understand, but get through really fast, you know, and, and a lot of it is like, I'll, I'll wind up half reading these really long, interesting think pieces that, you know, like my friend said me or that I stumble upon on the internet. And then it's like, I wind up getting distracted by something else. And I think part of what is amazing about this isn't necessarily the the speed of it. Cause that's obviously quantifiable, but also the idea that like, it's the focus it's that, Hey, we're going to move you along at a certain kind of pace. And also, this is all you see. Right. You are going to remove you know, all there, distractions. A, like, beep, you just go right through it because you're never far away from where you are supposed to be in the piece. But you, and, and I guess that's what I love about audiobooks is that, my, and again, it's unpleasant for me to read a highly exciting part of a book and see my eyes 
you know, uh, jump ahead to see, and I can't stop myself, right, to, to see if, if what character, if I see the word dies up in the future or, or a chapter break or whatever, to remove those distractions, I think would, would be a tremendous way to preserve all of my attention and to make sure I got the entire story without really costing anything. Yeah, so use promo you know, code. Just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's, it's uh, this came at kind of the right time because like just me, I've kind of been I've been curious in looking at you know gifts and the idea of emojis. I'm just fascinated right now just the idea of how we're evolving different forms of communication and things that work in uh, in some ways kind of a uh, if you look at. For a project I'm working on, I'm kind of studying, you know, the evolution of writing. And you look at what we have, we have called, things called like pre-writing. And they're symbolic things that meant something. And they may not have been phonetic structures or full-on uh, pictograms, but they were communicating information. And then the idea of you know, the, how we were intuitively trying to develop different ways to communicate. And here you have something that, you know, if you get to, you know, if you're getting a thousand words a minute, that's a hell of a lot of information. You know, you have a a novel is 60,000 words or more. That's a novel in an hour. So just now, I went ahead and clicked on the spritz. And uh, while I was listening to you, I was also kind of looking at at how fast 400 words per minute uh, went through. And I was amazed at how digestible it was in which, like, uh, I'm going to hit play uh, to watch it again. But I, I just watched it explain that you're reading at uh, at 60 words a minute. Here, let me change that. There we go. Uh, at sixty percent faster than you would have uh, with with standard reading, like if you're watching if you're watching on the live stream right now, that is utterly comfortable to me. And the mm -hmm. idea that it's almost you know time and a half as fast as or more than time and a half as fast as I was doing before is very awesome. And now we're just sucked into this. This is yeah. amazing. That's great. So you've uh, Andrew, what are you reading at now? Um, I mean, I've, I've been on the, the read app. I mean, I max it out at 800, uh, but it's not, I, I just, but it's not fun for narrative, but, uh, yeah. well, if I, uh, he, if I put it, I'm on 800 on there. Here's the most interesting thing beyond the speed thing is that it's saying that fundamentally, uh, and this is a great photo. If you go to Spritz Inc, uh, to illustrate it, they say in this thing that it just did that it's like. Look at how little space it takes to read all of this. How dumb does it look to have this gigantic screen when all you're looking at is this one place? And all of a sudden you picture like an iPod shuffle size device that you could actually read entire well, that, web That's what I was saying about trying to like get like an Arduino board, a little screen to see if you could make something that sits on a keychain. You could put a tale of two cities on a keychain and reliably expect it to be read more by more people than the book that has defined its existence. Or you think about, you know, when you get to, uh, you know, with e-ink, you know, the e-ink, when you can get a, a faster phase change from one image to the next is the idea of you start having credit card sized readers and. Or, or just, or just, I, I mean, I, I don't feel like, okay, I'm of two minds because we always think we're going to see everything converge to one device, and instead, what we always mm -hmm. see is stuff splitting off into other devices. Oh yeah, I don't think it can, I don't think in convergence. I think that you're going to get. You know, we've talked before about. I think the future display technology is going to be basically retinal projection. It's going to be you know a thing the size of an alarm clock that projects you know a beam right into your eye for that. And I think you're going to start. They have laboratory demos of that technology built into cell phones. So if you hold your cell phone out away from you, it creates a screen bigger than the surface area of your phone. 
That's amazing. Not, we're not talking projecting it onto a wall or something lame Into like your that. Eyes, you know, everybody yeah. watch this video. Let's go stand by the wall, turn out the lights. No, we're talking about like literally projecting <laughs> the beam into your eye yeah. and scanning, and you see this thing that looks like a full screen TV. So that's, I think that's going to be something the next couple of years we're going to see. And then, you know, we're going to start getting into the idea of you walk into a room and these things would be, you get to a point where they're cheap enough that you would not even think of looking for a screen. They're just there. Yeah, that's uh, uh, did you guys read Snow Crash by any chance? Yes. Yeah, that was the first time I had ever seen that idea. And it did sound like freaking Blade Runner level down the road, crazy future technology. And the mere fact that you not as a joke with no exaggeration said that you expect to see it in the next couple of years is awesome. Well, see, I think it's, uh, you know, there's. If it's if it's already in you know laboratory if it's already in demo stage right now we'll see where uh, it goes but gentlemen do we want to do picks yeah yeah man I got a I got a pick um, wait it's is, a you, is, is your pick is your pick the same pick as my pick I don't think so are you sure is it a, a, did you pick a podcast I did I did I, I'm not on the are you on the podcast uh well you're you're on the podcast okay. I'm not on this podcast. Oh, okay. That I'm gonna pick. Well, then tell me, tell me your podcast pick. Uh, you ever heard of this guy Tom Merritt? <laughs> You're talking about Tom Merritt, one of one of the fabulous hosts in the galaxy of, of white hot shining diamond stars. Uh, yeah, uh, DiamondClub.tv. Sure. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it's broadcasted uh, right here every day on Diamond Club or every week down DiamondClub.tv, but. Uh, Daily Tech News Show. So uh, I mentioned uh, before Tech News Today. It used to be hosted by Tom. Now Tom does Tech News Today, or sorry, does Daily Tech News Show. And it, in my opinion, over the last two weeks, has really been mandatory listening. Tom has, uh, you know, it's a great format. It's Tom, as you have always, if you're a fan of Buzz Out Loud or or Tech News Today, it's great. But specifically with this uh, Comcast Netflix uh deal he has brought daily clarity and vision that is uncommon to even mainstream tech journalism you know if you are if you are a, a reader of a lot of these blogs and stuff like that that we all read that are very very well done he is he's he's been exceptional with you know taking the time to break down exactly what's happening and make you smarter in terms of the the day's worth of tech news and delivered in the friendly uh, amazing way that tom does it. it it is in my opinion it's totally hit a stride over the last two weeks with uh with these particular stories you should listen to it if you do not already and if you already listen to it then you should go ahead and support his patreon uh just go ahead it's like a buck a month uh is is kind of what he is uh he is asking for so Which, to put it in uh, perspective is five cents per episode now i understand yeah. like i get mad when I see a television show, then I yes, I'm aware you spent a half million dollars making the television episode. You got to get your money back. Fact is, I want to watch your show, but I don't want to buy it for ninety nine cents for a dollar. Right? This is uh, what for 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 thirty to sixty minutes of of the best tech journalism you could get a nickel, a nickel. Yeah. Buy well, a, know, a it, cup it just, of coffee it, it, once every three months. To me, it really highlights. Tom is is somebody that amazingly highlights the the reason why an analyst a, a news analyst and anchor is important you know to bring you know a, a a synthesis of the news and and an analysis that you trust it's amazing it's great and i love it so daily tech news show uh is my pick you know what i'm fond of tom Merritt. i think daily tech news show is pretty good 
unfortunately, I don't think it's the funniest podcast I've ever seen. It's not it's not the funniest thing, Justin. I, I mean, yeah, he's the comedy is really lacking. The comedy's really fallen off ever since uh he left Twit. Yeah. I just wish that if you were a fan of Tom Merritt and if you were into that the you know, that family of podcast hosts, that you could watch another show that was maybe a little bit funnier, but unfortunately, mm. NSFW show is is no more on the Twitter. No, I heard, I heard it's gone. Show. Finally, got rid of those jerks. Yeah, like yeah. my letter writing mean, campaign paid off. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, it was it was a a show hosted by Brian Brushwood and mm. Justin Robert Young, who uh, shared his puerile sense of humor, and. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm glad it's gone. To be well, honest with you, I mean it's gone from Twit, but the, I mean those we, yeah. we, we didn't die. You and me, Justin, we didn't we didn't die. Oh yeah, no, that's us. <clears throat> yes, yes. Uh, no, no, we didn't die. We're no. here talking to you, and in fact, we have uh, a new version of that very show debuting this Tuesday. This Tuesday night attack right here at diamondclub.tv is where you can tune in live to watch us Tuesday night at the regular time. We are, uh, as a matter of fact, as soon as we're done here, Justin and I are going to talk a little bit more about the format, get everything worked out. Our goal is, and keep in mind, very, very much we're going to be finding our legs underneath us as we go through this. <clears throat> but, uh, uh, man, am I excited. Unfettered. We don't have any restrictions on length, on guests, on time, on language. We're not going to run around with our pants off all the time, but uh, but I do think that if you like our unfiltered stuff, if you like the Night Attack comedy albums, and if you if you like NSFW, I think you're going to like uh, Night Attack. It's eighty percent the same show. Eighty percent of it is NS is NSFW as you loved it. The other twenty percent is really just not even just necessarily changes that kind of came by way of the freedom we have in terms of language and time, but. More just little things that we've kind of are going to take this opportunity to t sort of just make changes to the format and and just kind of institutionalize a few different things that we think will be better for not only the show, but also the audience, which is you guys. I mean, listen, you guys made this happen. The Patreon that is out there for us has been, I mean, mind-blowing in terms of the support that you guys have given us. So it's uh it's 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 very exciting. Tom Merritt, uh, who I don't know if you've uh, familiar with, uh, <laughs> hosts Daily Tech News Show. He'll be our first guest, and uh, hopefully a few surprises, including uh, a musical one that uh, I don't know if Brian is is uh, is brought up to speed on. But after this, after yeah. after the way things wrapped up on an SFW, I'm I'm highly confident. I trust you with everything. Real quick, T two T two is hard at work putting together a website at nightattack.tv which is also where you'd be able to tune in uh, and uh, excited to see how that. Well, yeah, out. no, yeah. You come to, yeah, come to diamondclub.tv to, to watch it. Uh, we will. Uh, and also I think there's, there, we might have a couple of, we, we got to figure out where we're, where our website's going to be. Cause Patrick Delahanty already built one. Oh shoot. Well, there's that. So we'll, we'll work that all out. Already yeah. trying to splinter diamondclub.tv. Damn guys. it. <laughs> no, yes. We want everybody to watch everything live at diamondclub.tv. That's going to be the place where you watch everything live, including, uh, all of the weird things, the daily tech news show, Veronica, by the way, Veronica is doing a great, uh, uh, playthrough series, which, uh, I have very much enjoyed every Thursday, but anyway, so there we go. Diamondclub.tv is where you watch it. Night attack starts on Tuesday. We will figure everything out. Yeah. What about you, Andrew? What do you got to pick? My pick, I may have picked it, uh, ages ago, but I'm going to pick it again. Cause I just watched it again. It's a movie that like, I don't even know if it had a theatrical release. I wasn't paying attention. Mm -hmm. And 
it's I don't really watch very movies more than once, but I went and said, yeah, let me watch this one again because I seem to remember enjoying it the first time. And that is The Eagle starring Channing Tatum, Jamie Bell. Uh, and what it is, it's about uh, a... Channing Tatum plays the son of the commander of the Roman legion that got lost in Britannia. And there's, you know, this, the true, well, roughly sort of true story about a... Uh, you know, Roman legion that may have been lost, and with that was lost their standard. The eagle is, their, is the, the gold actual thing that stood on top of a pole that was this prized possession of a Roman legion, and that was lost. And so he's taken it upon himself to try to recover this. And it's a neat sort of story. It's Romans, it's Britons, it takes place in you know, like uh, 180 or something like that. And it's I, I enjoyed it. You know, I thought it was, you know, first time I saw it, I liked it, and then going back and watch it. So it's kind of a fun sort of adventure movie. It's based on a a book that's you know was considered a classic for 30 or 40 years anyhow it's the eagle so if you like period sort of stuff it's uh you know it's, this was kind of Channing Tatum right before he sort of you know kind of just broke through it a big way and I think he does a a, a fine job it came out in 2011 and that, that director did something awesome before this right what did Kevin he McDonald? do uh yes Kevin McDonald has done what has he done he's done uh um Last King of Scotland, he's done uh, – that's one I remember. We're trying to think what else looking up his IMDb. But I, can't, anyway, I thought it was reason. a pretty solid movie, and I enjoyed it. Right on. Yeah, so. but that, yeah, that was. It was it, that was a different world for Channing Tatum. When, when Damon Lindelof was, was poking fun at him before Channing Tatum ruled the world. Yes, yes. What he was that was yeah, he was gonna do an SNL appearance and Damon Lindelof made some crack about like, oh, don't worry, comedy writers, you know, it's all taken care of Channing Tatum, you know, something. And then Channing Tatum and Lindelof admittedly said, ah, kind of retracted that. Yeah. No, before we realized that Channing Tatum was really funny. Yeah. So good times. Well, gentlemen, ugh, it's been weird. Nailed it.